Good morning. I'm Pastor Tilden, the campus pastor in San Jose, the executive pastor for New Beginning since we started eight years ago. And I just want to add my welcome to all those who are joining us today, uh, whether you're a regular with us, uh, whether it's your, you're new here and it's your first time here. We just want to celebrate with you this Thanksgiving weekend. We're so grateful that you joined us. Uh, you may be here in the Bay Area. You may be somewhere across our country or across the world. And we are just grateful that you are part of our worshiping community today. And I am so excited for uh, the message that I have a chance to share today and how God will speak to us through his word. Now, last week, Pastor Herman shared a message called The Indispensable Gift as we were just heading into Thanksgiving week uh, here in the United States. And he talked about the difference that a lifestyle of gratitude can make. And it's true, right? Gratitude and all the things that come with gratitude, joy and peace and contentment, they're all things that we are seeking more of in our lives. But I would guess that for many of us, even as we went through Thanksgiving week and even as we, you know, had a good meal to look forward to and many of us spent time with friends or family and maybe worked a little bit less this past week, I would guess that many of us found that sustaining a posture of gratitude was incredibly challenging. And perhaps even as we sought to create a space for gratitude in our lives, there were other things that were going on that were disappointing or frustrating, and it felt like they were stealing our gratitude away. And I was thinking about how gratitude can feel so elusive and difficult to hold on to, and God actually brought to mind a memory of what it can feel like to chase after gratitude. Two summers ago, our family had the opportunity to do a family trip to Yosemite. And we actually went with a couple other families. So it was a number of adults, a lot of kids. We were having a great time in nature. And on the last day of the trip, we were playing in the river. And we noticed that there were schools of minnows all around us. And we thought it would be fun to try to catch some of these minnows. And so we had a few cups and we took turns using the cups and trying to scoop the minnows out of the river. Now, uh, there were so many of them that it seemed like it would be pretty easy to do, but it was actually incredibly difficult. The minnows were slippery, they were elusive, they squirted away when you tried to scoop them up. And after about 30 minutes, we had maybe managed to catch one, but what had started out as fun was getting frustrating. We were on the verge of giving up. When one of the little kids, uh, she was kind of waiting for a cup, was kind of bored, she decided to try something different. And instead of trying to use a cup, she just used her hands and she came behind a minnow and lo and behold, she scooped it up and she had it in her hand. And when we saw that she was able to do that, all of us gave it a try. We ditched our cups, we started using our hands, and we started catching dozens of minnows. And I have a picture of my daughter at the end of this. We didn't use the cups anymore to try to catch the minnows. We used them to hold the minnows because we had so many. And God reminded me of this, that sometimes when we're chasing after gratitude, it can be like we're chasing after something so elusive like these minnows. Now, I can assure you that no minnows were hurt on this vacation. We released them all back into the river. But 
if you also feel like sometimes catching and holding on to gratitude is as hard as catching a little fish that wants to get away, then this message is for you. I'm going to build on what we looked at last Sunday because I believe that the challenge of pursuing gratitude and building a foundation of gratitude in our lives is worth it. Um, and especially for those of us who may be a little bit gratitude challenged, I believe that Jesus offers a different way for us to have a foundation of gratitude in our lives. A gratitude that can persist and stay present in our lives no matter what else is going on. Even when the pain and the brokenness of life are things that we're experiencing, our gratitude can still be present. And in order to take a look at that today, we're going to be looking at one of my absolute favorite passages. It's from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. And it's a parable that Jesus teaches. So I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. It begins, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. The, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, am I, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, we're going to look at three things that Jesus teaches from this parable. The first thing that we're going to look at is the way that gratitude can be fragile. And sometimes gratitude can even be toxic. Then the second thing we're going to look at is how Jesus provides for us a different way to pursue gratitude. And he gives us a foundation of gratitude that is secure and that can withstand whatever life throws at us. And then finally, we're going to look at what gratitude is for, the transforming power of gratitude. So as we begin, I want to step back into this parable, but I want to look at it especially from the perspective 
of these first early morning workers. Because this parable is really designed to highlight what they are feeling as the parable is shared. So imagine that you are one of the workers that Jesus is talking about at the very beginning of the day. You're a conscientious person. You're trying to provide for your family. You know that it's harvest time. The vineyards are hiring for workers. So you get up bright and early. You go out into the marketplace hoping to get hired for work for the day. And lo and behold, a landowner comes along and says, if you work for me today, I'll give you a denarius. And immediately you feel a surge of gratitude because that's what you're hoping for, to find work for the day, and you found it, and you go and start to work in the vineyard. Now, the sun starts to rise. It starts getting warmer. You start to sweat a little bit. Your arms start to ache a little bit from the repetitive labor. And about nine in the morning, another group of workers arrive. And when you see these workers, you feel another surge of gratitude, because now there are more workers to tackle the work, and you keep on going as the sun keeps on going up in the sky, the day gets hotter. Now, around noon, another group of workers arrive, and this time you don't feel that same sense of gratitude because you notice that they have so much energy, they look so fresh, and you've already been working about five hours of the day. And then a little bit later on, at three o'clock in the afternoon, another group of workers arrives. And by that time, you're tired. You're just trying to get through to the end of the day. And then at five o'clock in the afternoon, another group of workers arrives. And you just can't believe that another group of workers is showing up this late in the day. You think, how can it even be worth it either for them or for the landlord? I mean, you know, how, how much work can they get done? How worth it is it going to be for them just to work for such a short time? How much is, are they really going to get paid? But you're just trying to make it through to the end of the day, and finally evening comes. And then everyone lines up to receive their pay, starting with those who receive last. And when you see that those who started at the very end of the day are receiving a denarius, your heart leaps. Suddenly you feel a surge of excitement and gratitude. You think, how fortunate am I that I came to this incredibly gener generous landowner? And you think, if, they, if the landowner paid these people a full denarius for barely any work at all, how much more am I going to be paid? You think about all the things that the money is going to be able to do for you and your family. And yet, as the line moves forward, and finally, when you receive your pay, you also receive only one denarius. And at that point, all the gratitude that you have felt completely disappears. It's replaced by anger and frustration and disappointment. And you say to the landowner, these people who have barely worked an hour. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now, let me start with the obvious. This parable is not a warm and fuzzy parable. It isn't designed to make us feel good. 
The setting of the parable is a landowner with a vineyard and workers in the vineyard. And this is a setting that Jesus often used where the vineyard represented God's land and the workers represented God's people. So this parable is about how God's people interact with God. And if you read the surrounding chapters, you'll see that one of the clear contexts of this teaching is how people, especially religious people, are reacting to Jesus' ministry. Jesus had a reputation of interacting with tax collectors and prostitutes and other quote-unquote sinners. And he would proclaim to them that the love of God and the grace of God was available to them. And the religious leaders and the teachers of the law responded very much like these early workers, basically saying, how could God be so generous to those people? And if he's generous to those people, aren't we missing out on something? Don't we deserve more? And even among Jesus' own disciples, they had their own questions. Because as they saw Jesus interacting with different groups of people, they felt like the people that he was welcoming into the kingdom and, he was, and the other people that he was saying, I'm not sure you're going to be able to come into the kingdom, they felt like it was so unpredictable. And the disciples had questions about what would it mean for them who had given up so much to follow Jesus. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples through this parable as well. And this whole parable is constructed to highlight the feelings of the earliest workers, the ones who worked through the whole day. And their feelings shift dramatically through this parable, that at the beginning of the day, they feel gratitude just to find work. They feel probably grateful in the morning as more people come and join them. And then by the end of the day, they have a a spike of gratitude when they think that working at this particular vineyard might work out better than their wildest dreams, and then all of that is dashed, and all of that gratitude is gone, and they're left with anger and frustration. And I think if we're honest, some of us may recognize that some of our days are just like this, that we have moments of the day of great joy and great gratitude, something good happens, and then other moments that are frustrating or fearful or just our expectations are dashed and all of that good emotion and gratitude is taken away. And so one of the things that we see right in this passage that we learn about gratitude is that gratitude is fragile and can even be toxic when it is based on comparison. It's comparison that makes these early workers so frustrated and robs them of any gratitude that they might have felt. That's what we hear in their words, right? When they received exactly what they were promised at the beginning of the day, one denarius, because of the comparison with others, they say these men who were hired last, that only worked one hour, comparing with them, you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now, most of us aren't day laborers working in this kind of system, but we encounter this dynamic of comparison and gratitude all the time. In fact, sometimes it's our desire for gratitude and happiness that causes us to turn to comparison. And I want to illustrate this with one of my favorite illustrations. I used this once in an earlier message, and it has stayed with me personally. I return to this image all the time, and so I hope this blesses you as well. 
Uh, one of the ways that I think we are, we are wired to engage with gratitude can be represented by this balance scale. Now, this balance scale is designed for kindergartners, but I think the reality is when most of us engage with gratitude, we do it very similarly to how we were when we were little kids. Now, this is the plus side of the scale. And when good things happen in life, uh, things like, um, you know, maybe we make a new friend, uh, we start a new relationship, something good happens at work um, or at school, uh, we have a great Thanksgiving meal, Good things happen, they drop into the positive side of the scale, and gratitude comes easily. We feel um, lots of joy, and it's easy to have a sense of gratitude in those moments. And then other parts of life inevitably interrupt. Life, uh, the, the pain and the brokenness of life interrupts, and something happens like our car breaks down, or, um, you know, we get a negative performance review at work or we're afraid of losing our jobs or uh, someone that's close to us does something that frustrates us and all of those feelings of gratitude dissipate and we're stuck in a place of anger or frustration or fear. Now, just the way that we're wired, a lot of the things that go into these buckets of gratitude or lack of gratitude tend to have to do with Comparison. Actually, the thing itself can be the same, but how we see it and how we compare can actually decide which bucket it falls into. So, for example, let's say that you receive a bonus at work. That would be something that would probably make you feel pretty grateful. And let's say that you find out that you're in the top 5% of the size of bonus at work. That probably would make you feel even more grateful. But then let's say that you discover that your lazy, kind of incompetent coworker that you cover for all the time received an even bigger bonus than you did. And then on top of that, got a promotion. I would bet that the way that you feel about what you received would have drastically changed. So much of our feelings of gratitude can come from comparison. And that's why we often try to short circuit this gratitude scale with comparison to get a quick hit of something that will make us feel better about ourselves. It might be um, something that makes us feel smarter than other people or something that makes us feel more successful or like that we have more money or that we're better looking, something that we can hold on to that makes us feel better and that gives us a hit of gratitude. And the interesting thing is even our relationship with God can be tainted by comparison. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus uh, teaches another parable and that parable starts off two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, a religious um, someone who was extremely religious, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, or gratitude, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
It's gratitude. He's saying thank you to God, but it's not a healthy gratitude. Gratitude based on comparison is fragile and it's often toxic. It's fragile because just as easily as comparison increases our gratitude, when we compare ourselves to those that we feel better than or those who have less, gratitude can also vanish in an instant when we start comparing ourselves to those who have more or that we feel like we we're inferior to. And it's toxic because gratitude based on comparison sets us up to even feel, either feel pride when we're comparing ourselves to those that we're tempted to look down on or to feel envy when we're looking at people and we see things that they have that we wish they had. And more than anything, when we engage in the dynamics of gratitude based on comparison, what it really reveals is our idols. The things that we look to for happiness or significance or value that we feel like are really, really important for us to have. Now, is it wrong to be grateful when we have good things in our lives uh, when we feel like we have a measure of health or something is going well in our career, we receive an unexpected blessing? Of, of course not. We should be grateful, but we should also be wise in recognizing that the circumstances of life will never be a permanent foundation for our gratitude. If our gratitude is only based on circumstances and comparisons and how we're doing relative to how we were doing before— we're going to have an incredibly hard time sustaining our gratitude through the painful parts of life that will inevitably occur. So in our Instagram day and age where there's temptation to compare at every turn, is there a source of gratitude that isn't fragile or toxic? And in order to, under to answer this question, we need to go deeper in our understanding of this parable. And the key question that this parable raises is, which kind of worker are we really? The early morning workers, the first ones hired, aren't the only ones in the parable. There are late afternoon workers as well, the ones hired at the end of the day, and they received a denarius also. Now, these late afternoon workers, in some translations, they're called 11th hour workers. These are the ones that are able to respond to the landowner with joy and with gratitude that has nothing to do with comparison. They have no one next to them that they're comparing to as they're receiving what the landowner gives them. They only know that they're receiving something that there's no way that they fully earned or deserved. And so their only response is gratitude for what they receive. Their perspective is totally different for those, from those hired early in the morning. I mean, those workers, they feel like they earned what they deserved and they actually deserved far more. So here's the key question. When it comes to us, when it comes to our relationship with God and our experience of life, is anyone truly an early morning worker? who worked the whole day and deserved everything that they got. What God has provided for us, the way that he works in our lives, is it more like a denarius, something that we've earned as a day's wage? Is it 
just like something that can be balanced against all the other good and bad things that happen to us in our daily lives. And the key to understanding this parable is recognizing that Jesus is the one who is teaching it. Jesus teaches this parable knowing that he is going to give his life for those who are hearing it. So as Jesus is teaching it, this is the same Jesus who says, the son of man, and Jesus is talking about himself, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom for you and me. That means he paid with his life to set us free. He provided what we could not provide for ourselves. He provided full forgiveness, full grace and mercy. He made it possible for us to be accepted into God's love and God's family. So let me ask you this. Do you know what difference God's love has made for your life? I mean, what does freedom mean to you? What does forgiveness mean to you? What does God's saving and unconditional love in our lives, what value does that have for you? What God gives to us in his generosity isn't just another item on this scale. It isn't one more thing of blessing or hardship. It isn't something that comes and goes with everyday life. What God does when his grace comes into our lives is that the full weight of his glory and his goodness and his mercy and his love comes down on the plus side of the scale and it actually breaks the scale. It tips it over in a way that there is nothing that can return us to a state of having the scale tip back and forth. And it means that no matter what else we face in life, no matter what hardship comes our way, no matter what challenges break into our lives, no matter what things disappoint us or, what, or injustices we face, there is nothing that can rob us of our joy and our gratitude because God's grace and mercy has broken the scale and has given us something that can never be removed, a foundation of gratitude that will always endure. And that's why Jesus is able to say, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us that we're going to have trouble in this world. Um, he doesn't shy away from the reality that there's pain and brokenness in this world and that none of us are exempt from that pain and suffering. And yet, if we understand the fullness of what God has done, we know that none of the challenges and the suffering that we face can remove the foundation of gratitude in our lives. And in actuality, it not only means that we have this foundation of gratitude when difficult things come, it also means that we're able to truly enjoy the positive things in our lives, the blessings that come our way, and we're able to celebrate them with gratitude without desperately holding on to them and clinging to them as if they're the only thing that's going to tip the scale 
in the gratitude direction. We can know that some of these things are temporary or for a season, or they may not last our entire lives, but we can be grateful for them while we have them because we know that the foundation of gratitude is secure. The extravagant, outrageous love of God is the permanent foundation of gratitude in every season of our lives. That's what I love about this parable. The surprising teaching from it. The reason why the workers who worked the whole day struggled with gratitude is they felt like God had been unfair to them. They felt like they deserved more from their work. And the hidden teaching of this parable is that Jesus comes to each one of us and when we are tempted to say that life has been unfair or that God has been unfair. Jesus comes to us and in this parable, he reveals that yes, God, he says, I have been unfair to you and to everyone. I've been unfair to everyone in your favor. I've provided grace and mercy that none of you have deserved so that all of you can enter in to relationship with God and a life full of gratitude that you could not imagine. So let me just say this. Many of us are wired for comparison. We, we can't help but compare. So if we do have to compare, let, a, let our comparisons, the things that we think about, the things that our hearts ruminate over, let our comparisons be the difference that God has made in our lives. What it would be like if we did not have the grace of God. Let us compare with our, our joy of the difference that God has made with his grace and his mercy and let our gratitude flow from that. All right, as we move to close, there's one final thing that I want to mention about what we notice about gratitude from this passage. And that's what gratitude is for. In particular, what we see in this passage is that gratitude has the power to transform relationships. Now, Pastor Herman shared a little bit about this last week when he talked about the power of gratitude in uh, his marriage with Rhonda in their early years, where a gra their, the expression of gratitude and their learning to express gratitude to one another deepened their relationship. It grew their intimacy when they were really challenged to walk together and to grow together. Now, the important thing to know is that ingratitude does the exact opposite of gratitude. And that's what we really see in this passage. Because there's a lack of gratitude between the workers and the landowner, their relationship is strained. They're unable to go deeper in relationship. They, they're left in frustration and anger because of ingratitude. Now, very practically for us, the only way to tell between gratitude and ingratitude is if gratitude is communicated. Okay, so first and foremost, that applies to God. That's why when we come together for our worship gatherings, whether online or in person, that's why we have a period of worship. It's not because uh, we just love music and we feel like, you know, we should have, have music because it's fun. 
our worship time creates space for us to be able to express our gratitude to God. And in that time of expressing gratitude, the power of gratitude allows our relationship with God to grow deeper, allows intimacy to form. The power of gratitude is unleashed in deeper relationship. And of course, the same principle applies to people as well. And this is the principle that we have to get. It's something that I heard uh, from a message from Andy Stanley, and it's so important. Uncommunicated gratitude has the same effect as ingratitude. Did you catch that? Uncommunicated gratitude has the same effect as ingratitude. And this insight is so important because I know that there is someone who is hearing this message today that is struggling with re in a relationship with someone that you care about. And the reason why your relationship right now is full of tension and frustration is both you and this other person feels taken for granted in the relationship. And the ironic thing, the kind of heartbreaking thing, is that both of you actually appreciate the other person. Both of you have gratitude for the other person. You recognize that your life is better with the other person. The other person provides a blessing in your life. But because of the frustration, uh, because of the things that you're working through, you just haven't communicated it for a long time. And the challenge is that uncommunicated gratitude is the same as ingratitude. When you don't communicate the gratitude that you feel, it will be expressed as ingratitude and it will continue to tear the relationship apart. There's a tremendous opportunity in this truth as well. If you're a young person, a, a student, a teen, uh, maybe someone that's in college, maybe you're struggling in your relationship with your parents. You wish your parents would be more supportive, would trust you more, would maybe say yes to you more often in the things that you're asking for them. I want to say that one of the most powerful things that you can do is to say thank you to your parents for the things that they are doing to support you. Because one of the ways that all people are wired is that when we do something for someone and they say thank you, it makes us want, uh, it makes us want to do more. When someone says thank you, when we engage in their lives, we want to get to know them better. We want to help them more. It activates deeper intimacy in relationships. And this applies to every single sphere. It applies to your workplace, family, friendship, and our relationship with God. Gratitude only expresses its power when it's communicated. And uncommunicated gratitude is the same, has the same effect as ingratitude. So that's why it's so significant that we just celebrated Thanksgiving Day. We don't celebrate Gratitude Day because gratitude is something that we feel, but thanksgiving is something that we do. And gratitude only has power if we act on it with thanksgiving. So as I close this message, I want to challenge you to move forward with the same gratitude challenge that Pastor Herman gave last week. Write out the things that you're grateful for. Look for God's new mercies uh, every day. But don't forget to communicate 
your gratitude. Where you recognize that your gratitude is something that God, gratitude flows from something that God has provided, make sure that you create space to worship God and to say thank you. And where there's something on your gratitude list that comes from something that someone else has done, make sure you take the time to say thank you to them. And may God continue to deepen our experience of gratitude and may we continue to see the ways that the power of gratitude is able to transform every relationship in our lives. Amen.